Hi, this is Gary Rogalski for the Northwest Woodworking Studio and our podcast, Top 5 Machines in the Shop, Not Name the Table Saw. This podcast is a reprise of one that came out in Season 1. I'm kind of taking the summer off and uh, putting back some uh, some episodes I, th- I thought were of interest. So hopefully you feel the same way if you haven't heard them before. Sit back, relax, enjoy. It is my belief that if you're building furniture, the top five machines you need don't include the table saw. Here they are. The bandsaw, a joiner, a planer, a drill press, and a chop saw. Table saw is not required. Now, I'll go through each of these machines and talk about uh, their value and what they can do and what they can't do. Um, but for, for now, I think you just push a table saw to the side. Space is, I, I understand, the spaces can be very precious. Uh, I started in a basement shop. Um, many folks have a garage. they got one car space uh, to, to put their shop in, or they move a car out and then do their work. Space is at a premium. And so it it's, seems wasteful. It seems profligate to give up so much real estate to a table saw. Table saw is great. If you're making cabinets, you need to cut straight and square all day long. It's great. It has power. But consider what these other tools can do for you. Number one is the bandsaw. Bandsaw is top of my list. I know I started out when I was... Uh, a young woodworker, I'd, my first tool was a radial arm saw. So everything I made was cut with a radial arm saw. So I made dados. That's it. Cutting grooves on them is insane. Uh, but cutting dados, cross grain, I could do. And so everything was made with a dado, and I dado things and glue them and screw them together. And there you go. There was my furniture then. So I started looking for a lathe, and I found a bandsaw instead. I found a Yates American bandsaw. And... Uh, it changed the way I did my work because I could cut straight. I could cut joints. I could do so many different things. So that's the, the first machine I think you need. It's the most important sh- machine um, in the shop for a furniture maker. You will, well, depending on your point of view, fortunately or unfortunately, need to spend more on it than you want to. Um, if you want... Uh, write to me at, uh, uh, come to the website, northwestwoodworking.com. Write, drop me a note. You can contact us there. And if you need a note for your partner uh, to allow you to go out and buy this expensive bandsaw, I'm happy to write it for you. Because um, you need a good one. You need a good bandsaw, and you've got to get one bigger than you think you need. Because um, once you understand the number of jobs you can do, you'll keep going back to it. And... You know, the smaller bandsaws are underpowered. They can't really do the bigger jobs that we'd like to do in the bandsaw. And so um, for my money, and I have a 14-inch, but uh, I don't do much with it. Um, for my money, you have to start with a 16-inch bandsaw or bigger to get the sort of power and mass, mass is important, uh, that the bandsaw requires in order, in order to do uh, good work. So, um, what are some of the things that the bandsaw can do? Well, it can rip. It can rip wood all day long. Um, 
when I'm milling up stock for a project, I do it in a two-stage process. I do rough milling, and then I do my final milling. And my rough milling is done with the bandsaw. So I get an edge straight and rip it to width. The wood is going to move in the Pacific Northwest where I live. The wood comes to us at uh, 7 to 9% moisture content. And then the board sits outside at a lumberyard, soaking up moisture just like a sponge. And so the outside of the board is maybe, I don't know, 9 to 11%. But the inside's dry. The outside's wet. You cut it open, it moves. Okay. So I allow for that. I, I, I rip my stock an eighth of an inch wider than what I need and let it move. Let it sit for a day. Let it acclimate now to the shop environment. But I count on that happening. And the bandsaw allows me to rip safely. Uh, I don't even need a splitter. Uh, I can stop the cut in the middle of the cut, scratch my nose with both hands if I need to. I'm not at, at risk. Um, I do remind my students that, sh that their butcher uses one, so it, it will cut uh, meat and bones. You do need to be careful, but it's so much safer than a table saw um, that I prefer to use it and um, do all my ripping, rough milling uh, with the bandsaw, both to width and to thickness, because not only can it rip, it can resaw. You can set a board up on edge and take a three-inch wide or a three inch deep pass, or a four inch deep pass, or on my 16 inch bandsaw up to an eight inch deep pass. Now, resawing can yield me veneer size pieces. It can yield me uh, two pieces out of a larger stick. So, uh, my buddy Phil Lowe uh, goes out and buys 16 quarter and cuts up all his, his parts out of this piece of 16 quarter for the same project. So, you're the mill, mill right here. You can decide how to cut your wood up. So it's so important to have a, enough power with your bandsaw to do that resawing. So there's ripping and there's resawing. Um, joinery is another, another job that you can do on the bandsaw and can do it quite well. I, of course, love having a, a fence on my, on my bandsaw because that helps me uh, dial, thing in, dial things in. And the, the Yates uh, has a rack and pinion, so it's real easy to adjust. So that's great. Um, you can also cut curves, you can do circles with a circle cutting jig, you can cut all sorts of shapes. I cut my templates on the bandsaw. Uh, you can cut wedges. The, the Windsor guys showed me how to cut wedges. Curtis Buchanan showed me how to cut wedges. Um, so you could do 3,500 of them, all the same size, with a simple jig on the bandsaw. I used to cut them on the table saw. Inefficient, risky, and not repeatable. So I cut tapers on the bandsaw rather than on the table saw. It's just the list just keeps on growing. So I, I love, uh, love my bandsaws. Um, and it's, it's the number one machine. It is the number one machine. Number two in my book is the joiner. Uh, so basically a hand plane flipped upside down, rotating cutter head, and it is going to give you an edge that's or a face that's flat and then if you flip it up and your fence is set it can give you a, an edge that is square to the face so flat and square is what it can do if you flip it over and do another face the second face so you've got a, a board that's about an inch thick and four inches wide you join one face flip it over join that second face and you have two flat faces that are not parallel with one another 
Um, you have to understand that the joiner cutter is in line with the tables. It's not parallel with these tables. So it's just going to give you a flat surface, not parallel surfaces. To get parallel surfaces, you need a planer. And lunchbox planers, those small portable 13-inch planers, are relatively cheap. And if you don't overtax them, they can do a, a fine job. Um, you know, and some things you have to pay attention to, not taking too big a pass, uh, not sending uh, super hard material through them and taking deep, deep cuts. Um, the thing that you cannot do with the planer, though, is take a board that you just got at the lumberyard that might be cupped across its width and might be bowed across its length. You can't send that through the planer and expect it to come out flat. It will come out with sides that are parallel, but they may be cupped. You can press the cup flat, make the cut, and then it's going to recup. So in order to mill material, what you have to do is run a face through the joiner first to get it flat, and then run it through the planer to get it parallel. Got to do it. I'm going to go back and, and talk about some of the details on each of these machines. Um, but let's, let me get through my list first. Uh, the drill press is next. I think you need a good drill press. I remember talking one time uh, to an engineer at Powermatic about uh, drill presses and what sort of tolerances they, they made them at. And, uh, and, and he said, well, you know, it's this and that. It's thousandths of an inch on the quill. No run out. You don't want any vibration on the, on the chuck that's holding the bit. But if you've got crummy bits... <sighs> All bets are off. <laughs> so uh, you can have a, the greatest drill press in the world and you have crappy bits. Mm, not so good. A couple of different types of drill presses. I have both a, a floor model and a benchtop model. Both work great. And the benchtop model I can do longer pieces on. Um, there's, there are ways of rotating the head in order to, to do that. But the drill press is used not only for drilling holes, drilling holes at angles, but for making jigs, which is of huge importance. You can do mortising on the uh, drill press. I do it mostly with the brad point bit, not a hollow chisel mortiser. But um, so it's a it's a tool that can help me build other things, as well as putting holes in things safely and accurately, setting up a fence and doing all sorts of work with it is really valuable to me. The chop saw I list, obviously, as a replacement for the table saw, and its single job is to cross-cut accurately. If it doesn't do that, it's not worth it. It's not worth having in the shop. Uh, get a regular arm saw that will be sort of accurate, sort of square. Use that for roughing your, your stock out. But a chop saw should be dead on. And, um, you know, uh, I don't think you need the articulated arm that, you know, you get extra uh, width in a cut. Um, I think just a regular chop saw works just great. But you need a good blade. And if you're cross-cutting, which is what you're going to do on that tool, a good cross-cut blade. So we're talking 60 teeth at least, 80 teeth or better, uh, an alternate top bevel. Um, so the, the grind on the on the carbide teeth alternates, so you get a nice clean cut. You take your time and 
can rely on the results. It's a huge thing to be able to cut things, uh, boards to the same length. Uh, if I'm making um, one cut, then I mark it out and cut it. If I'm making two or more, I set up a stop, and all my pieces are then the same length. So those are the five, I think. A bandsaw, a joiner, a planer, a drill press, and a chop saw. Obviously, you need a router, but that's not a, that's a hand tool. It's a hand machine, so uh, I don't, don't include it in this list of huge importance. But the table saw, not so much. Um, you don't have to use a table saw in order to get your work done. But a bandsaw in order to rip is, is super important. Here's some things to pay attention to. Um, Blade drift is such an interesting phenomenon. I didn't have it in my Yates American for years. And then these articles started coming out in the late 80s and 90s. And I went, hmm, I don't have any blade drift. Huh, I wonder what's wrong with my saw. Well, nothing was wrong with my saw. I've got, you know, all this weight in it. And I realized that with the sharp blade, the drift disappears. So now uh, at, at studio, I've got, Three bandsaws that are in use, plus my own, which is not available to the general public. You can come and look at it. Um, so we have a 14-inch, a 16-inch, and a 36-inch. And the 36-inch is a, is, a, is a beast. <laughs> it's a beast. And um, that saw, like all bandsaws, the top wheel can rotate north and south. That's all, that's how you adjust the blade. You get the, the blade to track properly on the bandsaw by adjusting north and south. But this uh, bandsaw, this uh, Yates American Snowflake, can also adjust east and west. And I think that's where blade drift comes in. If your wheels aren't, uh, if they're a little bit out, you're always going to get a little bit of blade drift. But have a sharp blade and it disappears. Let the blade get dull, have the blade guide set too far forward, and you'll have problems. Clearly, I need to talk about the bandsaw in another podcast episode, but uh, pay attention to the sharpness of the blade. It's, I think it's of, of real importance. Um, the other thing to pay attention to is, is to have the right blade on for the, for the job. So when you're ripping or resawing, have fewer teeth. Um, if I'm doing joinery or cutting shapes, I might want to have a six teeth per inch blade tooth branch, uh, 6 TPI. But for uh, ripping, 3 TPI is just great. It's fine. I'm not looking for a smooth cut. I'm looking for an accurate cut. So I want something that uh, gets through the uh, wood pretty easily. There's not a lot of teeth creating a lot, a lot of extra dust. And uh, the problem you have with a, with a bandsaw cut and, and blade drift is that it can't keep up with the, the amount of sawdust you're producing. It can't get it through the, the board. And so the blade starts to bend or wander and do funny things. So um, having fewer teeth helps that uh, helps the job. So I use three TPI. I use a hook pattern, and I get great results with that. So that's of, of some importance. You know, know as well that if you're just using a high-speed steel blade, you're going to get dull. I mean, if you're cutting hard woods, things get dull in, in a relatively short period of time. Uh, you use a carbide tip blade or a stellite tip blade, things will last quite a bit longer. Quite a bit longer. It's a dollar a tooth, but it's worth it. So, depends on what you're doing. Uh, the joiner has that same uh, sort of uh, issue. Um, it's a pain to 
have to change joiner knives. It's a real pain to have to change joiner knives. So I, I finally, I bought into the spiral cutter heads a few years ago and got me a bird cutter head. And I love it. It's the best. Uh, I haven't changed. Those are carbide knives. So that's number one. Not high-speed steel knives any longer, but carbide knives. And I haven't changed those inserts uh, yet. Two and a half years, almost three years. And have not moved them. So I take really light passes on the joiner at a very slow feed rate. Not so slow that I'm going to burnish the wood or burn anything, but fairly slow, and I'm not taking more than a 32nd of an inch uh, per cut. Um, I had some guys in class, years. this is years ago, I had some guys in class, and, and they were excavators. So uh, they were working on the joiner, and they had it set for a quarter-inch pass. Because, you know, for an excavator, a quarter of an inch isn't that much. That's a really light pass. Well, on the joiner, that's a, that's a bear of a cut. That's a big one. So 32nd of an inch is all I do and all I let uh, folks uh, do on the, on the machines. And it saves the knives. And it saves us over the long haul. So, um, so those carbide knives uh, and the spiral flute are great. I can cut it. I don't even worry about grain direction. Uh, I just slow it down when I, when I see a knot coming up, and I run right through stuff. So it's they're great. Uh, and you can get them now for planers as well. Um, I'm not sure that it's, it's worth it if your planer doesn't have bearings that hold the cutter head. Um, but that's, that's something to consider as well. So um, these are some of the, the, uh, the issues I think we run into. Um, and why I prefer these five machines um, as the the more most important ones uh, for a furniture maker in the shop. Um, lots of people will will say you just need a table saw and a, and a router, and God love you, that's great. But uh, I'm lost without my bandsaw. So um, there you go. There's only. Two things that woodworkers can agree on. One is wood moves, and two is the other woodworkers don't know what they're talking about. So there you go. It's, <laughs> it's all there in a nutshell. Thanks very much for listening. Check us out on the web, northwestwoodworking.com. We've got uh, an Instagram and a Twitter feed as well. So check us out. And uh, if you're in town, drop on by the studio. For the rest of the summer, I'll be repeating some of our Season 1 podcasts, so I hope you'll check those out if you haven't heard them before, marshalling my energies for our next season of podcasts. Thanks again for listening. If you have a question, drop me a line on coffee, buy me a coffee. I'd be happy to answer your questions. appreciate your listening. Thanks much. Bye-bye.